kind of the motivation behind the message tonight because I think about, as I think about next year and the opportunities before us, it's important that we understand the importance that we be a spirit-filled church. And that's the title of the message tonight, the spirit-filled church. When it comes to ministry, you can kind of divide ministry up into two halves. One half is the practical aspect of ministry, making sure things are organized, making sure things are done, making sure you have plans and preparations and that you accomplish those things. In that area, let me, I'm going to review something with you before we get into the message. The practical aspect of ministry cannot be downplayed. It is very important that we be organized and that we do things right, that we do things as well as we possibly can do it. I I told you not too long ago, and I want to repeat this on purpose because I need to remind us of this. But there was maybe a year ago even, uh, I came across a, a video and it was a, a, a Disney uh, executive, a very sharp-looking guy. And I, he just was likable, like you would kind of expect from Disney. And I realize Disney has its faults, but that's neither here nor there. But anyway, he said something because his, his, the video was on leadership. And he said this. He said, at Disney, we get together with the executives and we think to ourselves, What do we want our guests to experience while they're here? What do we want them to say about us when they leave? And he says, we decide that, and then we work very hard to try to make that happen. What do we have to do for them to experience what we want them to experience and what we hope they'll say about us. He says, once we know those things, then we go back and say, okay, how can we make sure they have that experience? How can we make sure that they will say the things that we hope they'll say about us? And I got to thinking about that. I said, I've never thought about that. Because when you go to Disney, and I've, well, we've been to Disneyland, we've never been to Disney World. But when you go to Disney, you're going to have an experience, and it's going to be good or bad. And they work very, very hard to make sure that the experience of their guests are all positive. And people that have been there, especially to Disney World, have said, you know, they just do everything first class. And they, you know, they, they benefit from that. But I thought, I've never thought about that as far as certain, because, yes, you're going to have an experience when you go to Disney, You're also going to have an experience when you go to the grocery store. You're going to have an experience when you go to the doctor's office. You're you're going to have an experience, and it's going to be a good or bad experience. And that's true in churches as well. I've been in churches where it wasn't a good experience, where people weren't friendly or, you know, standoffish and disorganized and what have you. So it's true of churches. You can have a good experience or a bad experience. So I asked myself, I said, What is it as a pastor that I want guests, which would include you, you're part of that and you're part of the solution, you're part of the problem and you're part of the solution, that's not what I mean, but I mean your guests, so what do I want you to experience when you come here and and what would I like for you to say when you you leave and what are we going to do about it? Are we going to leave it to chance? The Disney guy said, we have these three goals, these three aims, and this is what we do. So I said, 
Let me give that some thought. And I thought when people come here, there are going to be basically three areas that are going to affect them. One is going to be our property. You know, the buildings, as when I say property, I mean not just the landscaping or whatever, but the building itself. You go into a dirty church or a dirty anything, that's going to affect you. Okay, so property is going to have an effect on people when they come here. People are going to have an effect on people when other people come here. And the program, program is kind of a secular term for our services, but it had a P at the beginning of it, and I wanted to rhyme, so property, program, and people. And I stress this with our staff. So what I want them to think about the property when they come, I want them to think of it, I want them to leave saying it was clean and attractive, both. If it's clean and unattractive, that's not going to work. And if it's attractive and it's not clean, that's not going to work. So we really need, if we want people to leave here thinking, oh, the, the place is really clean, it's really attractive, um, then we have to work at that. And we, we have to make sure that happens. That's property. The program. What kind of program? Uh, we're gonna, you know, whether it's a service, a regular service like tonight, or whether it's uh, the musical coming up in, in a week or two. There's two things that we want to happen there. With the property, we want it to be clean and attractive. With our program, we want it to be well-executed and meaningful. As your pastor, that, that's my goal. Tonight, you come here. I, I want it to be well-executed. I don't want you to come in and say, nobody knows who's going to play on the piano. Nobody's going to know who's leading music. We don't know what song. There are churches like that. The Bible teaches us, no, that whatever we do, we should do with all our might. We, we should do well. So when, when people come, you know, and that whether it's, and, and this would apply to like sub-ministries, like the nursery and what, children's church. It should be well executed, and it should be meaningful. The folks leave having gotten something from it. So with the property, clean and attractive. With the program, well executed and meaningful. And then with the people. What do I want you to experience with each other, and what do I want visitors and guests to experience from us? I want them to go away saying those people were friendly and helpful. You know, my car battery went dead in the parking lot, and I had three or four people over there, you know, helping out and doing what they could do. And everybody there was friendly. People people spoke to me. So that, that's the practical side of ministry. Again, property, clean and attractive. Program, well-executed and meaningful. People, friendly and helpful. Again, that's the practical side. That's just one side. The spiritual is even more important. It's important that we understand moving into next year that we be a spirit-filled church. I read where this couple was in the middle of a storm, a winter storm, and the electricity had been out, and they listened to their battery-powered radio, and the announcer announced the following. He said, the following churches will be closed due to lack of power. Okay. Now, he was talking about electrical power. We understand that. But this person was saying, you know, there's probably some churches that have closed because of a lack of spiritual power. While it's important that we do the practical things as well as we can, 
it's very important that we understand that this is a work of the Spirit. And the Spirit can do what we cannot do. Let me share a couple quotes with you. Vance Havner. He said, we're seeing much today of service without the Spirit. There's an appalling ignorance of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our great church bodies. It is not what is done for God that counts, but rather what is done by Him. The work of His Spirit through our yielded wills. Programs, propaganda, pep, personnel, these are not enough. There must be power. And of course he's talking about Holy Spirit power. And if we're not careful, we could just get wrapped up with doing things and doing things as well as we can. And we we ought to be in that. But we can't. I mean, the Lord's really laid this on my heart lately. This idea of, because God has blessed our church. I mean, for a little country church in an area where the population has declined, it's been nothing short of miraculous what the Lord has has done here and is doing even tonight. I mean, this is an amazing group on a Wednesday night. And if we brought all those kids in here and the people that are working back there, we'd fill up this, this bottom floor. But we've got to remember the source of the true power, and that's the Spirit of God. Another quote, A.W. Tozer. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church in Acts, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. What Tozer is suggesting is that a lot of churches are getting what they're getting just through physical work and and labor, and if the Holy Spirit was removed, it wouldn't make any difference. But if you're going to use the the, the church of Acts, which we're going to look at in a second, as our example, we need to understand that the true work of God occurs because of the Holy Spirit. What is a Spirit-filled church? Because that should be something every one of us is conscious of, that every one of us understands what it means to be a part of a spirit-filled church and that you are doing your part to make that happen. Because there's no greater blessing, there's no more important blessing than that of churches being lighthouses, churches being salt. That, that, that affects people's lives and their eternities, people getting saved. But then it, it, it trickles down, if you will, into the community and makes the community a better, safer place. I mean, our nation was a safer place when uh, back in the 40s and 50s and people were in church and church houses were filled much more than what they are today. And you could leave your keys in the car and you could leave your doors unlocked. So, I mean, there's a lot at stake with whether churches are being everything they ought to be and being the salt and light they ought to be, and that happening by the work of the Holy Spirit. So what is a Spirit-filled church? Here's a definition or some thoughts. A Spirit-filled church was the normal experience for the church in Acts, and it's to be be the expected experience of every church of every age. And so in simple terms, a Spirit-filled church is composed of Spirit-filled believers irrespective of their position in the church or their degree of maturity. A spirit-filled church is a spirit-filled church when you and I are filled with the spirit. Nothing more, nothing less. We're not going to have a spirit-filled empty building. It is us as believers. 
One of the neat things about a spirit-filled church is it's a little piece of heaven on earth. It's a little piece of heaven to belong to a church where the vast majority of its members are indeed spirit-filled. I, like probably many of you, have been in churches that have gone through troubled times and it wasn't spirit-filled. Or it was the wrong spirit, spirit of Satan there. That's ugly. Oh, it's just ugly to see a church where people are gossiping and fighting with one another and uh, backbiting. And, you know, they got their little groups and some are out here in the parking lot plotting against those over in the corner of the auditorium. You know, probably every one of us at one time or another, if you've been saved any length of time, has experienced that. It is not fun. We experienced that, to, you know, down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, when the pastor there resigned over some accusations and whatever. And it was, it's not fun. But on the flip side of that, there's not much of a greater blessing on the face of the earth as to go to a church where people are spirit-filled, where there's maturity, where when there are problems, they're handled biblically and people trust the pastor, they trust the deacons, they they trust each other, and they they love each other. Um, The church in Jerusalem, in the book of Acts, which most folks believe is the very first church established, was that kind of church. Let's read a little something about that church. Book of Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And what happened? What is the primary thing noted? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Use those terms interchangeably. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Something miraculous happened. And we're not going to focus on the tongues tonight. We've talked about that before. I want us to skip down in that chapter where it kind of gives us... uh, insight into the everyday activities of this church. Having been filled with the Holy Ghost, do we skip down in Acts chapter 2 to verse number 42? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They're fellowshipping with one another. They're appreciating theology and the Bible and the truths of God's word. And in breaking of bread and in prayers... And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Verse 44, And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had a need. I mean, there's just great compassion and love and a willingness to sacrifice on the behalf of those that might be in need. Verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord. There's, there's harmony. There's, what, there's none, none of this gossip. There's, there's none of this backbiting. This church has been filled with the Holy Ghost. And they're continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They'd eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Their hearts were all on the same page. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Where did it all start? Back in verse number 4 when it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost. 
You know, there's so much trouble going on in this world that it's wonderful to have an oasis where you can get a cool drink of water, you can be in the shade, you can be among friends, you can help one another and encourage one another. That's what a spirit-filled church is. According to Acts 2, with the fullness of the Spirit, our church can thrive for the Lord. This is a list of, this isn't my list, this is not an original list with me, but this is how one pastor describes a spirit-filled church. He says, our church will be filled with power, peace, and prosperity. Our orthodoxy, in other words, what, what we believe, will pulsate with love. There will be no legalism or Phariseeism. Our liberty will serve the interests of truth and godliness not self-indulgence. In other words, truth and godliness come first, not self-indulgence, having your way. He says the fuller tide of the Spirit means spiritual discernment, deeper insight into the Scriptures. Number four, our church will be glorious in holiness wherever the Spirit of God dwells. He is as the refiner's fire. That one's worth reading again. Our church will be glorious in holiness For wherever the Spirit of God dwells, he is the refiner's fire. Number five, peace, harmony, and unity will be ensured. Fidelity to truth will carry no pride or bitterness. Our church will have a real missionary vision. With the fullness of the Spirit, church will not use carnal and unworthy methods in worship or witness. I like that description. That's the kind of church that... I want us to be. It might sound a little prideful if I say maybe to a degree we're there in many of these areas, but we haven't arrived. So how is it that we can achieve as a church the power of the fullness of the Spirit? Well, it means by you achieving the fullness of the Spirit. Me achieving the fullness of the Spirit. That, the only way to have a church filled with the Spirit of God is for the individuals in that church to be filled with the Spirit of God. So the million-dollar question is, how, do, how, does that, how does that happen? There's two things that I want to focus on tonight. There could be others, but just two things. For us to be filled with the Spirit of God, and this will be quick, there's a relationship between the fullness and the power of the Spirit and prayer. If you want to be, if you want to contribute to this ministry in a very positive, powerful way, you will begin, if you haven't already, start praying that you be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, when you're saved, the Spirit of God inhabits you. When you get saved, the the Spirit of God is there. But sometimes we can quench the Spirit, and it's not filling us. And when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you experience what they experience in Acts. We're soul winning. We're getting along with people. We're, we're bold in our faith. We're sacrificial towards others and easy and ready to help. That's, you know, that's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. But key to that is simply praying. In Luke chapter 11, verse number 13, If ye then, being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So how are we going to be a spirit-filled church? One of the ways is by prayer. Asking God is, is praying. And it's my goal, my heart's desire, is that each one of us, if you haven't already, 
as we're approaching this new year jam-packed with new opportunities that you and I would maybe more than ever before say, Lord, help our church to be a spirit-filled church exuding with love and compassion and boldness and righteousness, praying for that. And I think sometimes we have to just be reminded of that, and that's what I'm doing tonight. And I'm going to be preaching on the same topic next week, the filling of the Holy Spirit, because I think it is critical. And if you're not careful, like with anything, you can get off track. The Lord start blessing, and you kind of start taking it for granted, and you know, you, you start putting more emphasis on programs and what have you. And again, all those are important, but nothing's more important than this. Acts 4.11. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, I know that we all struggle with temptations. We all have our own besetting sins. Each one of us have areas in which we we struggle and the devil fights us. But if we could just all commit to, you know, understanding we're going to have our shortcomings, we're going to have our bad days, we're going to have our times where we got to confess our sins, but still through all of that we should be praying that the Lord would fill us with the Holy Spirit. One of the keys for a Spirit-filled church is for us as a congregation really daily sincerely pray. Some days we're not going to get it right. Some days we're going to mess up. We're human. I mean, Paul messed up. Peter messed up. But I think they also prayed to be filled with the Spirit. They preached to be prayed uh, to, to pray to be filled with the Spirit. We need to do that as a congregation. And who knows what we could see? Who knows the impact? This little church. I mean, the, we, we live in a town where, like happened to me today. Say that again. Is that Mio? No, Mio. My, M-I-O. Mio. Mio? No, Mio. You know, it, we live in that kind of little place. But already the Lord has been doing some amazing things. So if we could all commit to pray that we would be filled with the Spirit of God. But there's a second key. The Bible also teaches that there's a relationship between the power of the Spirit spirit and obedience. Acts 5.32 And we are his witness of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. We're just kidding ourselves if we're going to live in sin and at the same time and excuse it maybe or ignore it. And then pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, we need to also pray to be righteous. To get victory over those temptations. Those areas in which, no doubt, we all struggle. Obedience is is key. To to not tithe and say, oh, I'm on board with praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, you got to be obedient. You know, I'm glad you're praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but if you, you know, I'm just, that's just an easy example to use because that's kind of black and white. If I say, you know, you need to have a right attitude, everybody might think, well, I got a right attitude, but, you know, tithing, that's you either are or you aren't. And my point is, let's not kid ourselves. Obedience. What does that verse say? And we are his witness of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And I know sometimes it's a struggle. 
You know, I'm made out of the same stuff you're, you're made out of. I think, what, Sharon, last year I sinned, what, twice? <laughs> or was that yesterday? Or was that in the last hour? Okay. But you, 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 you just you continue striving. You're going to mess up. But don't, don't kid yourself. Don't fool yourself. Don't make excuses for yourself. Just acknowledge your sin, repent of your sin, and, and ask for God's help in overcoming it. And it may take a long time, but you'll get there. But for us to be a Holy Spirit-filled church, we need to pray. And according to Scripture... We need to be obedient. Don't, don't argue with the Bible. Don't, don't argue with the pastor when he's preaching the Bible. You know, if, if it's thus saith the Lord, then there it is. A couple quotes to end with. The Holy Ghost does not flow. Listen to this. It's profound. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. It is not great talent nor great learning that God needs, but men great in holiness, great in faith, great in love, great in fidelity, great for God. These men can mold a generation for God. The Holy Ghost doesn't flow through methods. I mean, it's important. You, you got to plan. You got to keep the grounds nice. You want people to be friendly. You want your programs to be well organized and meaningful. But key to that happening is people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Next, the last quote. As long as we are conscious of our need, and as long as we are willing to yield to the Lord, we can be filled with the Lord because His power is available to us all day long. I don't think the Lord would ever refuse filling an individual that is praying for it and doing his or her best to live accordingly. Last quote. This is another good one. When we rely on organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely on eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely on the Holy Spirit, we get what God can do. I don't know who to attribute that quote to, but amen to whoever said that. And it's unlimited what God can do. Let us pray that we would be filled with the Spirit of God and let us accept God's Word and try to live it to the best of our ability with His help, confessing our sins when we blow it and giving Him the praise when we don't blow it. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.